0: A reading from the first chapter of Romans for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in its the right for in the righteousness of God is revealed for faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to to them. For his visible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made, for they are without excuse." For although they know him, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became fertile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. This is the word of the Lord.
1: So our series this summer is called uh, Public Faith, and it's about sharing the hope that is within. Um, And and it's following a series that was done um, at Redeemer in New York City, Tim Keller's Church, in 2013. And so the basic question that the series is seeking to answer is, how do we do public faith well? What does it look like to live a a Christian life in public and, and do it in a good way? Because we know that there are ways to do it less well. Or bad ways to do it. You know, one is to always be um, combative, to be loud, to just be, you know, angry. And so you're, you know, contributing nothing to the public discourse. And you're contributing to the erosion of, of what is, you know, off malign now. This concept of civility. You know, they will know we are Christians by our love is the song. You know, not by how loud we are or how mad we are. But then there's the other mistake. And, and so your Christian faith just becomes sort of this uh, compartmentalized part of your life. It's a completely private thing. And so you've roped off and cordoned off this part of your life as private as opposed to who you are in public. And so following Jesus means giving our whole lives over to him. And, and following him in public and in private. And being the same exact person in both of those spaces. You know, that's what it means to live with integrity. To be an, an integrated whole person. And in some ways, this very notion of, of public faith is fraught because it, it cuts against the grain in a lot of ways uh, for the kind of space or lack of space that's been circumscribed for faith in, in really the post-World War II era, and, and this sharp, and I would say unsustainable uh, de- delineation between what counts as public truth and sort of private faith. And so I was reminded of that and, and what went into that this past week as I learned about someone new. This was a person who was new to me. I'm sure some of you are familiar with this person's name. Um, and then the name of this person who I learned about was a woman named Madeline Murray O'Hare. So uh, raise your hand if you've ever heard of Madeline Murray O'Hare. Okay, all right. So if you're of a certain age, she, you know, like, like you knew who she was. She was a, a celebrity of sorts. And I only discovered her through watching a Netflix original movie, The Most Hated Woman in America, which was sort of the title that she gave herself. And so um, she was most famous as the founder of an organization called American Atheists. And the stated mission of this group was to defend the First Amendment, particularly through legal action that sought to enforce the non-establishment clause of, of the First Amendment regarding Religion and what brought her fame or infamy was a case that she brought against the Baltimore Public Schools in the early 1960s that resulted in the Supreme Court banning the devotional reading of the Bible by teachers as a part of the of the school day and the movie itself it 's not for the faint uh, it 's not for the faint of heart um, it, it is a rough ending uh, for sure, um, but it led me watching this movie led me down an internet rabbit hole and it led me to watching a uh, a YouTube clip of an old conversation that she had with Bill Buckley on Firing Line. This is back from, this is like a 1970s episode of Firing Line that I watched for an hour this week. So it just shows you what a good use of my time. But it was fascinating for me, this conversation. Um, And and the way that she articulated her understanding of the role of religion and, and public life. And I think it's one that many folks have sort of uncritically and unquestioningly Adopted, and it's that the public square ought to be a naked space, completely devoid of uh, public religious expressions, and, and that the default, the default position of the state should be agnostic, taking no position, say, on questions of whether or not God exists. And so when she was pressed about her, her beliefs or lack thereof in God, she had this very disdainful way of saying that word. Oh, does God exist? It's really something to watch. Um, but she said, well, the very concept to her was just, she said, it's a meaningless question. It's utterly incoherent. What might even be contained in the meaning of that word? It doesn't make any sense to me. It was, she claimed that the very question of God's existence to her was meaningless. It was absurd. And then we contrast that with what we read in the Apostle Paul in Romans this morning. So, you know, kind of a default position, a default cultural position for us now is does God exist? Who can know? But for Paul, it's completely different. He says that what can be known, certain things that can be known about God are plain. He uses that word plain, meaning everyone can see it, it's obvious. And that the truth about God's existence and God's attributes have been, he says, suppressed. And so I want us to look at a couple things this morning. What we can know about God, according to Paul, from creation. But also what we can't know. And needs to be revealed. So what we can know and what we can. not So first, what we can know. Paul says in verses 19 to 20, what may be known about God is plain to them. Because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. And so Paul's point that he's leading up to is that when it comes to our standing before God, everyone, Gentile and Jew alike, are are all without excuse, because he's leading up to in Romans 3 where he says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So humanity in total, he's saying everyone is in the same predicament uh, before God. We're all worthy of God's condemnation. But since our predicament is the same, so is the solution. Jesus Christ crucified and risen. And so Paul's point here is that there are certain things about God that are accessible in light of the fact of creation. And we're entering here the realm of what's often called natural theology. Theology. The things that we can know about God simply by looking at creation without recourse to sort of what's called special divine revelation. And Paul says the things that can be known about God are God's eternal power and divine nature. And what exactly that means is puzzling, but for sure we can say some things standing on solid ground. And so, first of all, what, what should be clear to us all from looking at creation is that we are not God. We didn't make any of this. And so whatever sort of God complex we might have, we can be very quickly disabused of. Contra the ancient sophist, uh, Protagoras, who said, man is the measure of all things. We say, no, nothing ex- ultimately exists because of human beings or because of anything within creation itself. So we can know from creation that God is other than creation. God is God and we are. Or not, and the second thing that we can know is, is that our existence is utterly gratuitous, in the strictest meaning of that word. Meaning, it's sheerly and sheerly and completely unnecessary. None of this stuff had to be here, including you or me. We don't need to be here for God to be God. And the reason that there is something rather than nothing is a sheer act of grace. And the appropriate response to grace is gratitude. And gratitude expressed towards God takes the form of worship. And so while one might be agnostic about the identity of the creator, it is unnatural, according to Paul, to be agnostic about God's existence and to what we owe our creator. And in order to not believe in God, in our contemporary context. In order to be a pure materialist, there are several things that you have to believe. And this is the point that gets made time and time again, that if you don't believe in something, you don't believe in it because you believe in other things. You have other positive beliefs that you hold. So every statement of faith is a statement of not faith in something else. And so in order to hold to the true materialist position, you have to believe that nothing produced everything. That non-life in organic matter gave rise to life, organic matter. That randomness produced a fine-tuned order. That that, that unconscious material produced consciousness and that non-reason produced reason. And when we're thinking along the same lines as Paul, he says to believe all of these things is an indication of the human inclination to suppress the truth. So when it comes to public faith, it makes no sense to pretend to share in a false agnosticism. But to hold clearly that the alternative to belief in some kind of creator is literally, and I mean literally, literally, unbelievable. Contra the materialist, the human situation is more akin to one described by the late Antony Flew who was a famous British skeptic who abandoned his atheism for a kind of theism, a sort of god of the philosophers before the end of his life. And in describing our condition, he offered the following parable, which I think is really interesting and helpful. He says, Imagine that a satellite phone is washed ashore on a remote island, inhabited by a people that has never had contact with modern civilization." The natives play with the numbers on the dial pad and hear different voices upon hitting certain sequences. And they assume at first that it's the device that makes the noises. Some of the cleverer natives, the scientists of the tribe, assemble an exact replica and hit the numbers again. They hear the voices again. The conclusion seems obvious to them. This particular combination of crystals, metals, and chemicals produces what seems like human voices. And this means that the voices are simply properties of the device. But the tribal sage summons the scientist for a discussion. He has thought long and hard on the matter and has reached the following conclusion. The voices coming through the instrument must be coming from people like themselves. People who are living and conscious and speaking in another language. Instead of assuming the voices are simply properties of the handset, they should investigate the possibility that through some mysterious communication network, they are in touch with other humans. Perhaps further study along these lines could lead to greater understanding of the world beyond their island. But the scientists simply laugh and say, look, when we damage the instrument, the voices stop coming. So there obviously is nothing more and sounds being produced by a unique combination of lithium and printed circuit boards and light-emitting diodes. There is no reason for us to give in to the notion that there is no creator out there trying to communicate with us. In fact, evidence for such a creator is everywhere. But are we willing to listen? Or have we lost our sense of imagination? Imagination. So there are things that we can know about God that are available to everyone. But there are also things that we can't know about God just by looking at creation. To pick up on the parable, it's not simply enough to know that there is another voice on the end of the line. And that shows that someone else exists. But it's essential to listen to what that voice is saying. What it's trying to tell us. Because what we can't know about God from looking at creation is we can't know God's character. We can't know God's heart. For that, we need something else, and that something else is the gospel. Paul says in in verses 16 to 17, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile, for in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And so the announcement of the gospel isn't simply sharing a religious message. It contains the very power of God to save. And Paul had found through experience of his life, the countless times he had gotten up and told people about Jesus, crucified and risen, that something strange happened when he did that. That when he shared that message, that that same new world which he was declaring started when Jesus died and rose again, was coming again to fresh life in the hearts and the minds and the lives of the people who were hearing this message. And this message saved by bringing about faith, ultimate trust in the truth of this message and the trustworthiness of the God that it revealed who is so much more than a blind force or a vague higher power or some kind of unmoved mover. But this God has a name, Abba, Father. And this God has a face, the face of Jesus Christ. And this God has a continuing power and presence, the Holy Spirit, who is God with us now. And when this gospel is announced, we learn about the character of God. Paul says that in this message, the righteousness of God is revealed. Another way to translate it is, is the justice of God is revealed. And what exactly does this phrase mean? It's, it's debated. Is this a, something about God's own character? Or is this some kind of righteous status that is given to human beings? You know, and, and I think it's, a, it's a, not an either or, but a both and. But I think here the emphasis is upon revealing God's own character. And Paul's point is this. When the gospel is announced, we learn God's solution to our problem. That Jesus' life, death, and resurrection are the way that God has chosen to make this crooked world straight. To right what is wrong, to heal what is broken, to redress injustice. And so the gospel reveals that what is at the beating heart of the universe is sacrificial, redemptive love. And that's the message that's communicated to us. And that's how we can go beyond, you know, knowing about God. In the sense that everyone can, you know, that this God exists and we're not this God and this God is powerful. To knowing God in the sense of personal knowledge. The kind of knowledge that is at the heart of each and every relationship. You know, it's one thing to know about someone. We know about all kinds of people in this world. But it's something else to know someone To know who they are, what they love, what they fear, what they care about. And Paul is saying we can have one kind of knowledge about. But through the gospel we have knowledge of personal knowledge. And that's the voice that we have to share in public. That this is the God, right? Whom we pledge that our nation is under. And in whom our currency declares we trust. This is the God who Martin Luther King Jr. said bends the long arc of history towards justice and righteousness. It's not a generic God who does that. It's not a God as I've come to understand him who does that. It's the triune God whom we've come to know through the preaching of the gospel who does that. A God whose common grace is poured out for us to work for the common good. And the good news is that we can know... Not just that this God exists, but that this God exists and this God is for us. And this God is for the world. And so Paul's message is this. You want to know that God exists? Look around. And you want to know who this God is? Look at Jesus. And you want to make this God known, share the good news without shame in words and actions. And live from first to last by faith.